We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. This is actually the fourth message in the series, Church. We've already talked about what the church is and what the church is not. Two weeks ago, we talked about the assignment or the mission of the church, and that's to take the gospel to all the world. And we clearly define that really Jesus wasn't talking about church in our passage. Rather, he was talking about the ecclesia. That's the Greek word, and it means those who are called out those who choose to follow Him, those who name His name as the Lord and Savior. They are the called out ones. And that the church really isn't a building or a facility or an address, but rather you and I are carriers of the Holy Spirit, temples of the Most High God. And as a result, you and I are that ecclesia. So wherever we go, the ecclesia, the church, goes with us. And I think it's very, very important that in this day and this time, we understand that concept that it's rooted firmly in our hearts and we understand what Jesus is telling us in this passage of Scripture. So look at the text with me. I'm coming into the middle of it because we understand the context is that Jesus has said to his disciples, who do people say I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the other prophets. But then he narrowed it down because this is the question for every man and every woman in every age. Who do you say that I am? You see, that's the relevance. Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter responded this way. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus went on to say then in verse 18, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock... Now, we've clarified this, but let me clarify it again. He's not talking about Peter, Cephas, who was a little rock. He's talking about the confession that Peter made. On the rock, the foundation, the bedrock that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So when we read that scripture, we understand Jesus is speaking prophetically. He's looking down through the pages of time, clear down to you and I today. And when he made this statement, I'm going to build my church on this rock that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when he made the statement, the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it, he is speaking victory into your life and to mine. He's speaking destiny into your life and to mine. He's speaking purpose and mission into your life and into mine. So we understand that when he says those words, he's telling us when you're a part of the ecclesia, the called out ones, then you have the assurance that no matter where you go, what you encounter, the victory that I possess will be possessed by you as well. I hope somebody gets that this morning. I hope it resonates in your spirit today. You need to know and understand that because Jesus died and rose again from the dead, it doesn't matter what you face, it doesn't matter what you encounter, the victory is yours. You will always be victorious. People have said, well then, why do people get sick and die? Do you not understand that for the believer, death is the final victory? It takes us into the presence of God. It allows us to achieve what God has prepared for us from before time began. And that's life eternal. 
Oh, come on, friend, we have to change our view and change our perspective. We have to understand that for the believer, being in the presence of God is the culmination of our faith and the ultimate victory. So we understand those things and we begin to think differently. So as I begin thinking about this message this morning, I begin realizing that there's a lot of folks in the world and even in the church who have a wrong mentality about what the church is and the victory that Jesus promised. That's why I titled the message, Welfare or Warfare. You see, there's a lot of us who think that when I come to Christ, I'm a son and daughter of God, that's true. Son and daughter of God, and that's absolutely true. But because of that, I just stand here with my hand out and God gives me everything I need and want forever and ever and ever. It's a welfare mentality, an entitlement mentality. It's a mentality that says, I can go to that church and they have to give me what I want when I want it because I'm a child of God. I've got news for you. The church is not a welfare institution. The church is an army of God called to do battle and warfare in a very real world against a very real enemy. And as long as you think it's all about me and getting what I want, as long as we think it's just about the benefits, as long as we say it's only about my rights and we ignore our responsibilities, we are not the church of Jesus Christ. Because God didn't save you to sit you on a seat on Sunday morning so you can enjoy the worship and enjoy the message and go home and your life not be changed and your neighborhood not be changed and your family not be changed. He saved you. He filled you with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you would rise up and be a warrior in the kingdom of God. Men, I'm talking to you this morning. Ladies, you can listen, but I'm preaching to men today. Too long. We have abdicated our responsibilities to the women in the church. It's time for men of God to arise. It's time for men of God to stand up and say, I am a man. God has given me power and authority. And I choose to walk in that power and authority to bring dominance and dominion and defeat to Satan and his kingdom. It's time for men to be men in the kingdom of God. It's time for men to stand up. See, for too long we said, oh, religion, that's our grandma's thing. That's our wife's thing. That's our mama's thing. That's all for women. I've got news for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ was propagated across the face of the earth by 12 men who said, we believe he died and he rose again from the dead. And to prove that, we'll give our lives. Do you realize that of the original apostles, 11 of them died a martyr's death? 11 of them were executed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They tried to do it with John, too. They threw him in a bat of boiling oil, but he just wouldn't die. So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, where he couldn't do any more damage. But I'm here to tell you, when we stand for Jesus Christ, we have to understand we're in a war. We have an adversary. It's warfare in the kingdom of God. So many times we have so decimated the idea of church that we think it's just about a potluck dinner. When that happens, we're as dead as the chicken, as weak as the tea, and as cold as the ice cream. And that's not what God wants. Come on, say amen. And I love fried chicken, but it's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's not what we're about. So when Jesus uttered this prophecy, he's saying anything that comes against you, you're going to prevail. You're going to overcome. There is no force of darkness, no plan of the enemy that will be able to overcome you. Matter of fact, he used an Eastern term to paint a metaphor that his disciples immediately grasped when he said, the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against you. 
In Eastern times and in that culture, it was at the gates of the city where the elders sat and brought judgment. It was there that counsel was given. It was through the gates of the city that the armies proceeded to conquest and battle and victory. So Jesus is saying, every plan of the enemy, every counsel of Satan, every army that he sends out from the gates of hell will not have the power to overcome you or prevail against you. That's good news. Oh, come on, that ought to make somebody shout in this place. I'm going to have to edit this tape for what I'm about to say, but I'll edit it because I want you to hear it. We were in a church last week that was dead as milk toast. It was horrible. I told my wife that was the toughest place I've preached in years and years and years. They sat there like bumps on a log. I said, I can't wait to get back to Christian heritage because at least these people preach with me and help me. Amen. Come on, we need to understand the victory is already guaranteed through the prophecy of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean we don't have to fight. Matter of fact, history also proved the fact that Jesus' words were true. In Acts chapter 4, just a few days after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the disciples, Peter and John, were called before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And this was as a result of the lame man being healed on the way to pray. They called them in and they said, you can no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name is outlawed in Jerusalem and Judea. Never again speak in his name. What happened? The very next day they started doing it again. So they threw him in prison. But when they went to get him the next morning, the angel of the Lord had showed up and opened the gates of the prison, let him out, and where were they? Right back in the temple, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can read the Acts of the Apostles. There was persecution. There was adversity. There was opposition everywhere they went to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it didn't stop them. It didn't deter them. Because those disciples heard the words that you and I need to hear. The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. History goes on to prove that. When you begin to read the pages of history, the Roman government tried to outlaw Christianity. The Roman government said you can't preach in that name either. And when you go on down through the annals of time, you'll see that Voltaire in the 18th century said, by the end of this century, the name of Jesus will be eradicated from human thought. He said the great cathedrals and churches will become halls of science and learning. I'm here to tell you, Voltaire died without that prophecy being true. But Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and that's still true today. Matter of fact, at the end of Voltaire's age, there arose a man by the name of William Carey, who took the gospel of Jesus Christ to India. He became the father of modern missions. So the world may say one thing, the philosophers may say one thing, the politicians may say one thing, but I've got news for you. Jesus has already spoken, and he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. He is victorious. He is the conqueror. Look back within the last hundred years or so. Lenin said religion is dead. Stalin said it's the opiate of the people. Chairman Mao outlawed religion in China and rose communism. Today there are more Christians in China than there are people in the Communist Party in mainland China. Somebody ought to say amen. Why? Because the gates of hell shall not prevail. You can read on down. Hitler tried to eradicate it. 
And it didn't work because men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up and gave their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. The shining path tried to wipe out Christianity. Atheists have tried to wipe out Christianity in America. But I'm here to tell you, Christianity is still the strongest force in the United States of America. It's time for you and I to mobilize, stand up, and say we are a nation that believes in a mighty God. We serve His name, and our King is Jesus. Jesus. Culture tries to tell us it's not correct to speak in Jesus' name. Not long ago, I got into a dis- discussion. Start to say disagreement, it was, but we'll, we'll use discussion. With another pastor in this very city who objected to the fact that I thought the name of Jesus should be used in any one of our gatherings. Oh, well, that's exclusive. Well, that's polarizing. Well, the Muslims don't believe in Jesus. I know, that's the problem. Do we understand that? The Hindus don't believe in Jesus. The Buddhists don't believe in Jesus. That was his argument. I said, do you understand? He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then he tried to go down some theological rabbit hole and tell me why every word written in red isn't Jesus' words. Oh, come on, folks. We can't pick and choose what we believe. The Lord said the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Culture may try, politicians may try, educational systems may try, but here's the good news. Nations have risen and fell. Cities have crumbled to their foundations. Cultures have been decimated. But the one institution that has stood firm for over 2,000 years, that has never wavered, never varied, continues to sing the same song, is the church of Jesus Christ. And I've got news for you. It doesn't matter who comes against it. Because the greater one has already said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. We've got to get that in our spirit this morning. We've got to recognize it, that God wants to bring us to victory. Reminded the story of the recruit on an army base who their shooting range was canceled for the day and they did physical physical training instead. And he said to his buddies, does it bother anyone? That they're more concerned with how fast we run rather than how good we shoot. Think about that for just a minute. The army fighting. Come on, church. We have fell into that same philosophy. We would rather run from a battle than face the battle. But read the Old Testament. Every time there's a battle, David ran towards it. He didn't run away from it. He engaged the enemy. You and I have got to be men and women who are not afraid to stand and fight in the face of darkness. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says these words, where there is no vision, people perish. The word vision is better translated revelation, where there is no revelation. You see, when you and I have no revelation that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, when we have no revelation that we're living in a position of victory, when we have no revelation that every battle has been won through Jesus' name, we have no reason to fear, then people perish. Why? Because when we have no revelation, we became an inclusive group of insiders. We're only worried about ourselves. It's us four and no more. But when we have revelation, we understand God has called us out of this building, into the streets, to be light in the midst of darkness. That's why we're wearing these shirts today. 
to be lights in the midst of darkness. I challenge everybody with one of these on, that today when somebody says, what does that church mean? Don't tell them about Christian heritage. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the King. Tell them about the Healer, the Savior, the Deliverer, the God who is able and does all things well. Tell them about Jesus. See, I like to say it this way. When the Ecclesia, the called out ones, lose the revelation, then people lose their way. Culture loses its way. We are called today to be lights in darkness. The city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. You don't cover a lampstand with a bushel bucket to cover it up. We are the salt of the earth. Do you understand? That literally means we are the reason that judgment hasn't fell on this planet. That's what that means. We are the reason that God has withheld his hand and is allowing for repentance to continue to be the day and the time. Because we are the salt of the earth. We have got to come to the place where we understand when we lose the vision, people lose their way. 2 Timothy 2.4 declares that we are called to be soldiers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. King David said it this way in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 35. He, speaking of God, trains my hands for battle. Men, you need to hear that. It's time for warriors to arise. It's time for men of God to be filled with passion and courage. It's time for men and God to be strong and courageous. David said, it's God that trains my hands for battle. You see, David understood this principle. The nation of Israel was the only nation that worshipped a true and living God. The other nations around them worshipped idols, things made of wood and stone, pagan deities. But Israel worshipped the true and the living God. And David understood that if the nations around them prevailed, culture was doomed and damned. They would be idol worshippers until they died. But he also understood that if my God prevails through the armies of Israel, then his name will be lifted high and people will give an opportunity to worship a living and a true God. Oh, somebody hear that this morning. We have been given an opportunity to show people you don't have to bow to idols of wood and stone. There is a living God. There is a true God. There is he which was alive and dead and now is alive forevermore who wants to infiltrate and fill your life with his presence and power. That's the message the church needs to take. Not of kumbaya. Not of let's just go along to get along. Not of don't make waves because that's not polite, Pastor Chris. Not of keep your mouth shut because someone might object to your testimony. No, the church of Jesus Christ, come here, buddy, needs to be filled with men of God, men of courage, men of strength, men of stamina. One day I'm going to look like him when I start going to the gym. You believe that, don't you? Probably not. But we need to understand God wants to use men like him and men like me and men like you to raise up a standard of righteousness and holiness in a generation that's going to hell. Thank you, buddy. We need to understand that's the call of God, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We need to understand today, the ecclesia, the church, is involved in a struggle between God and the forces of evil. That's all we're involved in. That's our only agenda. That's the only thing we're called to do is fight to win and see God be be touching hearts and lives around us. We're involved in a war. Paul said we are soldiers in the army of Christ. 
We have weapons and we have warfare. Somebody says, wait a minute. No, the church is all about peace and love. Listen, I'm going to show you peace and I'm going to give you love. But if you come in the name of my adversary, I'm going to give you something else. Come on, it's time to stand up, men, and recognize we don't have to lay down and take everything the devil brings against us. It's time to arise, men of God, and be forces for the enemy to deal with. The Bible does say that sometimes, I know some of you are offended by that comment. Get over it. The Bible does say that sometimes the devil uses people. Did you realize that? Yeah, sometimes they're your family. Sometimes they're your church goers. Sometimes they're complete strangers, but he does. Matter of fact, Jesus, Matthew eleven twelve, rebuked Peter because when he started telling them that I'm going to die and be crucified for the sins of the world, Peter, read it, it says it very clearly, Matthew 11, Peter pulled him aside and rebuked Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He understood where that was coming from. Oh, come on, folks. Realize sometimes those who supposedly love you don't have God's agenda in their mind. And when they're telling you something that doesn't fit with God's plan and God's agenda for your life, you need to separate from them, rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name, and hear again what God has to say. One, we've got to understand who's speaking into our life and what we listen to. Even in the book of Acts. The Jewish religious leaders opposed the church. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. Judas betrayed Jesus. Alexander the silversmith opposed Paul. On and on we can go. And down through history, you see that played out again and again and again. So we need to remember that we're involved in a battle. And in that battle, there are those who will oppose us. And sometimes it's not just a spiritual force, but it's a person. And we have to identify that and either receive it or reject it based on the Word of God and His revelation to you and I for our lives. You see, being a warrior for Christ is really between the ears. We have to change the way we think about being Christians. You know, for hundreds of years, we lived in a nation that was called a Christian nation. We had very little opposition to Christianity, but culture has shifted. Times have changed. And we have to understand it's now time for the church to develop a warrior mentality to be able to stand in the evil day and declare the wondrous works of God. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Peter said, Arm yourselves with the same attitude. What attitude? The attitude of being willing to endure hardship and suffering. It's interesting when you look at that word arm in the Greek, it literally means weaponize yourself. Weaponize yourself. Come on, it's time to armor up, men of God, women of God. It's time to weaponize yourself. Rise up, you're called to conquer. Second Corinthians eleven three. the church, Paul says, serves in an extended military campaign. It's not one and done. It's every day I get up and put on my boots, I better be ready to fight. Every day you get up and you walk out that door, you better be ready to fight. You've got to understand this is not a battle, it's a campaign. But the good news is the gates of hell shall not prevail. Shall not prevail. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. What does that mean? It means God's our priority at all times. 
We're focused on His will. We're concentrating on His purposes. And we're moving in His power to accomplish what He desires. Now, Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that our warfare, our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Matter of fact, read that with me. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. We have to understand we've got an enemy. Call him anything you want. You can call him the devil. You can call him Satan. You can call him horns on the head. You can call him Slewfoot. You can call him a liar, a deceiver, an accuser. Call him anything you want. Every name is true. But the fact of the matter is this. Jesus already said that devil and everything that comes out of the gates of hell, every army, every demon, every lie, every accusation will not prevail against my church. And if you're a part of the ecclesia, the called out ones, that promise is yours as well. You need to take it to the bank. You need to hang on to that. Being a warrior requires preparation. You know, when you enlist in the army or when you're drafted in the service, they don't just send you off to fight. They train you. It's called boot camp. You learn hand-to-hand combat. You learn physical conditioning. You learn how to use a weapon. You learn about the enemy and his tactics, his strongholds, and how to attack those things and pull them down. Do you know why we're doing the battle plan of prayer every Wednesday night? Thank you, Calvin, for doing that so very much. Do you know why? Because we need to understand how we overcome the enemy through prayer. If you're not here on Wednesday night, you're here because it's a great teaching that will enable you to rise up and stand firm in the things of God. So we, too, need to be trained. We, too, need to study and practice and rehearse. You know, it's very interesting to me that people think, oh, I should just be able to speak out what I should speak out at any time. Do you understand that the Bible says before Peter went back and appeared before the Jerusalem Council of Religious Leaders to testify about the Holy Spirit being poured out on Gentiles, it says he rehearsed what he was going to say. When you're ready to testify, you need to have a word to speak. Come on, don't just let it come off the cuff because then you do get tongue-tied. Then you do get in a position where you're saying something you didn't mean to say. Think about what you're going to say. Rehearse what you're going to say. And be ready to always give a testimony, a word for what God has done in you. Come on, rehearse it. Think about it. Receive it. Practice it. How else do we prepare? We hide the word in our hearts. Why? So that it may not sin against you. We pray and understand that praying in the Spirit is a powerful warfare weapon that the enemy cannot interrupt. We put on the whole armor of God according to Ephesians chapter 6. We learn, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, to bind and to loose. He gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth, you'll bind in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth, you'll loose in heaven. Listen, folks, there's a time to bind the enemy, to bind his lies, to bind the things he's coming against you with, and loose the power of God. Holy Ghost, flow through me. Spirit of God, move through my life. Do what I can't do. Be loosed in my life today. Being a warrior requires knowing your enemy. Knowing who you're fighting. To do that, we have to be vigilant. We can't be caught off guard. What did Peter say in 1 Peter 5, 8? He said, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant. Keep your eyes wide open. Watch and pray. Be aware, be alert. 
Know when the enemy is coming against you. The best defense, my friend, is always a good offense. That's why I love King David. He didn't hang back and wait. When nobody had faced the giant, he ran towards him. That's why I like David's mighty men in 2 Samuel 23. They didn't sit around wringing their hands, but rather they went forward and fought the good fight and won the battles. Because they understood we have to engage the enemy. We should also take precautions when we're in a battle and know our enemy. Acts 20, 29-31, Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus. This is the last time he would see these individuals. You realize that he founded this church. He spent two years in Ephesus preaching the gospel. Miraculous things occurred there. These folks were close to his heart. And this was his last words to them. He said, know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up and speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Verse 31, therefore watch and remember. Look what's going on around you and remember what is in your heart. Remember what I've taught you. Remember the word of God. Remember the promises that have been conveyed to you through the years. Watch and remember. Oh, it's time to know your enemy, to be vigilant, to take precautions. And it's also time to arm yourself. What did Paul say? He said, put on the whole armor of God. Read it in Ephesians chapter 6. Starting with the helmet of salvation. If you're in this room this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's your day. Because we began assembling and putting on the armor when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's interesting that he said the helmet of salvation. Because in salvation, God redeems our spirit. He creates us over anew. But it's through the access, the portal of the mind, that Satan comes to tempt to discourage, to dissuade, to lie. So everybody in this room needs to be wearing the helmet of salvation. It protects your mind from the lies and the tricks and the deceits of the enemy. He said, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Have your loins girt about with truth. Have your feet shed with the prepara- shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Pick up the shield of faith, wherewith you will quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the army. Armor. That's what we need to be clothed in each and every day. We need to understand that when we know Him, we are then able to engage Him. Engage Him. Come on, folks. We've sat too many, too long on the sidelines just waiting to see what God would do. It's time for men and women to rise up and engage the enemy. You've got the shield of faith where why you can quench every fiery dart of the evil one. You've got the sword of the Spirit, which is an offensive weapon. You do understand the sword is the Word of God, right? But you also understand that if you don't find yourself in the Word of God on a regular daily basis, your sword's going to get pretty dull. Your sword isn't going to be effective. You wonder why I'm up and why I'm down, why I fall, why I trip up so often. It's because you're not using the sword. Oh, come on, Christian heritage. It's time to get in the Word of God, to read it, to digest it, to let it be absorbed into your mind and in your spirit every single day. Someone said, well, I don't know what to do. Well, let me give you my Bible reading plan, all right? Every day. Two Psalms, one Proverbs, and one chapter from the Gospel, and one from Paul's epistles. If you will follow that plan, you'll find yourself fortified by the Word of God. Two Psalms, one proverb, one gospel chapter, and one chapter from Paul's epistles. 
You will find yourself fortified and strengthened and God doing great things in you. You'll find your faith rising. And then when the devil comes, because he will come, you take out a sharp sword and you cut that booger's head off. You cut it. How did Jesus overcome Satan when he came against him in the wilderness? By the word of God. By the word of God. You've got to have the word, your sword, sharp and ready when you engage the enemy. You see, the enemy, you take, the sooner you take the enemy to battle, the sooner you realize he is a liar, he is a deceiver, he is an accuser, the sooner you realize he wants to deceive you and tempt you and distract you, the sooner you realize he wants you to be hypocritical, he wants to steal your food supply, cut off your connection with the word and prayer. As soon as you realize that, then you can engage him and defeat him. But until you realize that, who your enemy is, you can't engage him. This isn't in the notes. Somebody needs to hear it. The problem in the modern church is that we have forgotten who the enemy is. And so now we're not fighting the devil We're fighting someone whose opinion I don't agree with. We're fighting someone whose preference doesn't align with mine. We're fighting something that was said in the pulpit or the music that was sung in worship. We fight against the wrong enemy, the wrong battles. We will never win. All it does is bring division in the church of Jesus Christ. It's time for warriors to arise and say, we know our enemy, and it's not the person beside me or the church I attend. It's old Slewfoot, horns on the head, and I'm going to cut his head off. I'm going to sharpen my sword and go to battle. I'm going to be a warrior for Jesus Christ, and I'm going to engage the enemy. Because when you understand who he is, you can run towards him. You can charge him. You can say, hey, buddy, you forgot to read Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You missed that one, didn't you? Oh, it's in red. It's the words of Jesus. And you know what he said, Satan? He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Every plan, every craft, every device, every army, every horde of demons will not stand against the church of Jesus Christ. So when we understand those things, we engage the enemy. Three things a warrior should expect, and then I'm going to close. A warrior should expect to endure hardships. Paul said endure hardship as a good soldier. You see, it's a lie when we tell people, if you come to Christ, your problems go away. No, they just shift. They just shift. Because suddenly you're fighting an enemy who isn't only interested in stealing you from you, destroying your health, isn't only interested in disrupting your relationships, he's after your soul. He wants to condemn you to hell. He wants to cause you to give up on Jesus and turn your back on him. You're fighting a very real battle when you come to Christ. You have to understand that so there will be some hardships. There will be some difficult days. But you also have to understand that every warrior should expect an opportunity to fight. Oh, come on, church. We, didn't, we weren't called of God to sit on a pew or a seat. Called of God to fight. We were called of God to engage the enemy. We were called of God to do warfare in the heavenlies and bring victory to men and women. We were called of God to intercede for our family, to make intercession for our friends, to stand in the gap for our culture. Oh, God is still looking for a man who will stand in the gap so he doesn't bring destruction. He's looking for men today who will look for an opportunity to fight.
who see the enemy and charge towards him. Who do not run away or back away in fear. But we see what the devil is trying to do and we confront it head on. We fight him head on. We look for an opportunity to fight. And lastly, every warrior should expect, and this is what I love, to be a part of the greatest victory ever won. To be a part of the greatest army that ever marched. To be a part of the greatest call that was ever given. To understand that through Jesus Christ, we shall do valiantly. Because he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not bring victory over the church. Through history, institutions have risen and fell. Empires have risen and fell. Cities have risen and fell. Cultures have risen and fell. Philosophies have risen and fell. But there is one that has always stood firm, and that is the ecclesia, the church of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Stand to your feet with me in this room this morning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're in this place. You say, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today I need to put on that helmet of salvation, have my sins forgiven, my life transformed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's you. Right where you stand, that's you. God's been talking to you for over an hour now about your need for Him. Today you want to accept Him. You want to allow Him to come into your heart and come into your life. That's you. Right where you stand, would you lift your hand and say, pray for me. I want Jesus in my heart and life. I want to receive that gift of salvation. Hold your hand up and let me see it. Then you can slip it right back down. Anyone as I wait just a moment, from side to side, yes, sir, I see those two hands in the back. Others, join these two men that say, I want the helmet of salvation. I want Jesus in my heart and in my life. Any others, you'll raise your hand with these two gentlemen. As I wait just another moment, yes, sir, I see your hand. Someone else. As I wait just another moment, you want Jesus to come into your heart and come into your life. Slip up your hand and hold it there. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church... We invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 1030, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website chctoday.com